This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Work It. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Crispina Robert. Okay, a phrase that's been heard fairly often, especially in the wake of the Great Resignation Wave, is the war on talent. I'm sure you've heard of it, Adrian. Oh, yes. So this word talent can be misunderstood. It assumes everyone in the organisation has a talent. And in my mind, they refer to above-average skills or abilities. Share someone you met who blew you away with their talent. Yeah, I've worked with very talented people. Editors who could turn my words from straw to gold. Designers who could create visuals of sheer beauty. And technical folks, you know, that skill I don't have. Whose video and audio editing wizardry leaves me quite speechless. Like our sound engineer, Daniel. Yes, so these are the people who really make a difference and an impact to our businesses. But what does talent mean? How do you find them? How do you nurture them? So today we speak to Vinny Lauria. He's a founding partner of Golden Gate Ventures. And he not only runs a company, but invests in others. From being an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley to building startup ecosystems in Southeast Asia, Vinny has spoken to hundreds of CEOs and founders. So he knows a thing or two about talent. Hello, Vinny. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. It's great to be here. So start by telling us when you're interviewing someone, how soon into the chat do you know this person has what it takes for the job you're looking for? Presumably, everyone at the shortlist has already made a cut in terms of education or skills. I think the more that you do it, and I've done hundreds of interviews now across dozens of countries, I don't want to say like, you know, right off the bat, there's definitely been people that have like a half an hour in. I've been a little bit more on a spider senses, and then I start really getting into it in terms of culture and behavior. It takes a little longer them to open up. I think a no could sometimes be known very early, but that yes does take longer. Mm. And what would a no look like to you? Are there any common denominator or common red flag that you've been seeing that is a strict no? Or in fact, would there also be something like that that is a hell yes, this is a person that I really want to hire? So what I've learned over the years is to really dive at behavioral sort of questions and ask for anecdotes Can you tell me about a really difficult project you worked on, not because of the project, but because of the people and what happened? And then hearing that anecdote and how they explain it and the difficulty, now you get a little bit of the culture, you get how they viewed a situation. On a recent interview, there was somebody I clicked with so well, they were so good, so salesy, that I literally wrote like spider sense that says, we might want to do better technical DD on this person because they probably have gone through the second or third round very, very easily because they were so smooth. So you don't want to come off too polished. On the flip side, my favorite question that I ask halfway through the interview, what is the biggest misperception your colleagues have of you? And that's definitely like a novel question. One of them answered, they think I'm really on top of it and I have everything together, but actually I'm very lazy. (laughs) And I I said, you're on a job interview. I'll give you a second chance. Could you explain to me what you mean that you're really lazy? He was able to turn that around, but that could have gone the other direction very quickly. That's interesting. So the key is asking these kinds of questions that tease out someone's character almost, like their personality. 
I'm not that first wave. So those sort of technical questions should have been asked earlier. There might have been a task assignment just through somebody's CV. So for me, around that test of character in terms of cultural fit for the company, in terms of have they accomplished what they've wanted to accomplish? Are they using past tense, present tense, or future tense? It's really, really subtle, but it gives you an idea of there are things that people want to do they haven't done yet versus things that they have done. Yeah. wanted to get a little bit into this. We understand that different jobs obviously require different skills and you're looking for different things. Some of these jobs are highly technical and the candidate may not be very articulate, for example, but they can do the work. But if you're looking for someone to really run something new, for instance, or hit the ground running, what are one or two things that you would look at for someone like that? So one is I would ask them, what do they need from their colleagues in order to be successful? Mm. That's a great question to understand when they hit the ground. What is it that they need? And I almost treat an interview as a performance review. And I take a lot of notes because if we treat it as this performance review and trying to get that honest sort of feedback, that is really helpful. So now you know, are they actually going to sync up with their gears and hit the ground running alongside a high-performing team? Or do you think they need some ramp up? Or this also happens. Sometimes you get very experienced people applying for a job below their level. Mm. And it could be because a startup is very sexy and has high growth and they want to be a part of that. So you, you also want to make sure that they understand the boring requirements of the job and when's the last time they did that and are they really going to roll up their sleeves and do it and that is another area so sometimes you're trying to say is this person qualified sometimes it's this person may be actually too overqualified mm. they're going to get frustrated in the role and then they're going to transition out and that's a waste of everybody's time and money right with COVID-19 still hanging wherever we are right now, it has definitely changed the way we approach work as well as changed the way companies approach hiring. How has that impacted the way you believe companies will be forced to change in terms of seeking new talent? So hiring over Zoom is way more difficult in person. <laughs> as humans, our intuition at reading body language, mm. facial language is way greater than we could ever comprehend. And a lot of that is lost over Zoom. I moved to Ho Chi Minh earlier this year from Singapore because under COVID, we were trying to hire on the ground, open up an office. And I found that incredibly difficult. I found that more difficult than investing in $1.5 million checks in the companies because <laughs> we did that over COVID, over Zoom in different countries. But hiring, that was actually way, way harder. What is it about the body language that you miss in a Zoom meeting? It's the way they look at you, for example, whether they make eye contact, whether you know they have positive energy, etc. There are some things that you are naturally going to pick up on. Are they telling the truth to this answer? Mm. You may not be able to clearly, consciously be aware of that, but their body language will tell you intuitively that this is a truthful answer. Are they honest? Are they trustworthy? Are they transparent? Culturally, in terms of how they respond to things, how forthcoming, you know, different work environments and different startups, some could be much more aggressive, some could be less aggressive, and even understanding how people will deal with that. Do they give feedback? Are they great communicators? Again, more than verbally, but are they able to really understand their atmosphere and work within that atmosphere? And a lot of this could be lost on Zoom. So what you might have is somebody who could be a great candidate but over a video call, that might not come across as well, mm. or vice versa. Somebody that your intuition would tell you there's something wrong here. So 
I want to be a little bit more skeptical, that becomes harder over Zoom. But what I will recommend for anybody that's doing a Zoom call, make sure you have a good quality camera, make sure you have a good background. You know, if there's kids around, which we all have running around, either let people know that in the beginning of the call, so it's kind of not unexpected, and then just make sure your environment supports what's needed for that Zoom call. So for anyone who is keen to ask you for a job remotely, they may be better off asking you for investment instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's easier to write a check than to hire. And on the note of investment, you have said before that investing in a good team with an okay product is better than investing in a solid product but an okay team. That's quite an interesting statement. I hope you could also help us to understand the idea and the perception behind it. Why is team so important? Sure. There's a few things. At the end of the day, as investors, we invest in people, the leadership team, the founders, and can they inspire people behind them? What I've learned from two startups that I've built and my friends that I've seen become huge successes, it really does come down to the people and the team. As an investor, when we write that check of $1.5 million, it is all to go to hiring people. It's all about people. That's where it's so important. Now, the reality is if you're building a startup, you're probably going to make changes and directions. Your original pitch deck and what you look like two years later could be vastly different, but most likely is going to be slightly different. And therefore, if we're investing in just the product, and I know the product's going to evolve as market dynamics and lessons are being learned, then I need a team that knows when to evolve, when to make that choice to go aggressively, or when to pull back. These are really hard sort of decisions. Or the team that's going to be very fast-growing that can hire great talent behind them, inspire and motivate great talent behind them for them to be great leaders. That is the much harder skill set. We spend a lot of resources, time and money for our portfolio with coaching, executive coaching, leadership coaching. And the whole idea is how do we make our CEOs better leaders? Because then, therefore, the company will be better. And that's regardless of the product, the technology or the geography. So you would say that leadership is quite central to building good teams? 100%. At the end of the day, that CEO is the captain of the ship. And hopefully the whole crew is not doing it only for financial compensation, but they're doing it because they're really motivated on the larger mission and vision. And when we do investments, I do ask the founders, what is your mission statement? And how did you come up with that and why? And that is really, really important to me. I mean, there's investments that we've done that maybe they haven't had a clear mission statement and we're working with them on the importance of that. And then there are some founders that just really impress you because they have thought about that deeply from the beginning. All the founders have bought in and now you know they're going to be able to build great talent around them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, success comes from talent. You can be very, very hardworking, but if you can't bring people in around you that want to work alongside of you just as hard, it's hard to create something of huge value. I want to get into managing talent. I'm sure in your area, you have very high performing employees. So in a big organization, how would you say you would manage a high performing employee who may be really good individually, but might have trouble working with a team? Do you see that sometimes? So there are individuals that may be very good at their job function that have difficulty working with a team or becoming a manager, let's say, with people Mm. underneath them. I think that's an impediment to somebody's success. So if there's an individual like that, my goal would be to work with them on 
communication skills, management skills. Some of that is giving feedback, like feedback is so important. And there are organizations where I see where it's, people are kind of scared to give that sort of feedback, but direct feedback where it's constructive is really helpful. At Golden Gate Ventures, we copy Google's model twice yearly performance reviews and a separate third growth chat of where do you want to grow your career. And then if you look at that growth chat, there's a Venn diagram. You as an individual, where do you want to grow? We as a company, where do we need more support? And then where is their overlap? And that's where we want to support the individual in terms of education, in terms of experience. How do we start let you working in that area so you can start gaining experience? How do we expose you to that? That's where our growth chats go. In terms of communication and that culture, we spend a lot of time interviewing upfront for that. Mm-hmm. But I have seen that in some of the startups that we worked with and those conversations are really around in order for that individual to grow and help the company grow, they really need to work on communication. So you shouldn't write people off. You should work on them. Is that what you think? Work on that. And again, we copy Google. So we use performance improvement plans, whether it is around how you work with your colleagues or even something technical. If an individual is not growing, that's not helpful to the organization. Right. We work with them. And that could be on a three to six month plan. Google really pioneered this. And it's basically really specific instructions on where a company would like to see improvement. And most importantly, how is that measured? And that measurement needs to be agreed by all parties. And then this way, now it's very clear. And if the individual cannot hit that performance improvement plan, then there's not a fit for them within the organization. And now that is not Donald Trump, you're fired. (laughs) That is, we're constructively working on a path forward. You have three to six months to demonstrate growth. And if not, then it's a mutual conversation that there's not a fit here. Hi, my name is Steve Lai. And I'm Teresa Tang. And we are the hosts of the new podcast, CNA Correspondent. From New York to Bangkok, join us as we kick back and chat with our colleagues across the globe about the latest news developments. Look out for our weekly episodes wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of employees are really very impatient when it comes to their career growth, especially the younger cohort. And you mentioned a lot on investment, which sounds not just uh, monetarily expensive, but also very expensive when it comes to time. Now, given that someone that you hire today may look to leave one year or even two years later, uh, what's your perspective on spending all this investment on them? Is it worthwhile to really put in all this money and time just so that other companies or even your competition may be able to benefit down the road? That's a great question. At the end of the day, for you to be a great organization, you have to grow the people in your organization. If you're concerned about growing and they're leaving, I think you're looking at the wrong thing. So it's not to say that people won't cycle out, but at the end of the day, if you've hired five people and four grow within your organization and one graduates, when somebody leaves our firm, we use the term graduate and (laughs) stay in touch. And some of them have gone to growth stage funds, private equity funds after us, and then have done follow-on investments in our portfolio. This is a win-win. It's Mm. sort of like one of these big four consulting firms when the senior person lead goes to the client, the customer. But at the end of the day, now you have a better commercial sort of relationship. So that's how I look at it. Now, if you do have a lot of turnover, then I think you need to be looking internally of why what's happening there and don't just treat it as that's a millennial no there's something in your organization where they feel that they cannot grow 
in terms of career development, professional development, title, compensation. And so I think that's important to look internally. But I think the benefits far outweigh the costs. Let me just jump in about the bigger picture. Singapore is in sort of an interesting place post-pandemic. There's been an increase in capital funding. Tech startups are baking out. Fintech has grown. But these are kind of exactly the skills that the local workforce may be a little lagging behind, right? I mean, because we don't really produce enough of these technical skills and it takes time. So some surveys say that the lack of specific skills tend to be fairly dire. When you think about that, is it agnostic? You're just looking at someone who would come in, grow, and then replicate success? So one of the principals on our team started off as an intern. So we've grown people within the organization. So to be a partner, all the sets of experiences, he gained that within the firm. I think it depends on the role. So if you're hiring a very senior role, you need to have a certain set of experiences and a certain set of qualifications. But I think this is much easier for a startup versus a corporate. A startup is able to hire somebody earlier in their career in terms of experience. Mm-hmm. And what they're really looking for is that self-driving, self-motivated engine of growth with the potential to do a lot. And this is what you've seen in Silicon Valley, all these people. It's not just the Mark Zuckerbergs of Facebook, but all those young people that were around him in the beginning that have now started other multi-million, if not billion-dollar companies. So for startups, they're really looking at that potential. And the years of experience is okay. And it's so... Maybe you don't have any fintech experience. You just graduated college. We're a fintech startup. We're going to teach you. Mm. We're a startup. We're learning as we go along as well. I think for the corporate world, that's where it becomes a little bit harder. There are the progressive corporates, the Googles, which have a huge office in Singapore that are willing to hire people without necessarily domain expertise because Google has such a great knowledge internal system to help educate people. So they're looking for those hard skills and the potential to grow as an individual. So that's a very progressive corporate. For a more traditional corporate, yeah, that might be harder to break into. Outside of addressing the talent acquisition gaps, which you just did, of course, another gap that we want to look at would be on talent management. And from what we can tell, a lot of ways of managing people, especially the typical HR way, seems to be a bit obsolete now. And I'm glad that you raised the points earlier on about how you guys manage your performance appraisal following the Google method and all that. But startup or not, are there any aspects which you believe, based on your observation, are things that HR or companies should really stop doing or start doing in order to cater better and to manage their talent better in today's world? Yes, everything. So a really common question you ask as a coach to a CEO is, what do you want to start doing? What do you want to stop doing? And what do you want to continue doing? And that question could be asked weekly with basically the idea is there's no one answer there. And for an individual or for a company, that changes over time. Sometimes it's frequently within the month. So every company should be asking that. And now there's OKRs, objectives and key responsibilities. A lot of large tech firms use that. That's not to say every company should be using it. And there could be companies that are using it and it's not necessarily helpful. So the idea of asking, should we start, should we stop? Things that are really important, performance reviews, formal, twice yearly, that is something that every company should be doing, no matter how small or big you are. Because if you're small, it's easy. Just get used to it and then it becomes easier. Weekly check-ins, one-on-ones between a report and their manager. That's another best practice that just everybody should be doing. Keep that line of communication open. There's now an agenda that people can bring up. But again, I can't say everybody has to do it. It's just, if you're not, definitely consider it. But on that stop, it's really good to be progressive. 
it's really good to be open to being challenged. Every new hire, no matter how young, fresh out of school they are, I'll have a conversation with them that basically sounds like people think of failure as a really bad word. I look at failure as a really good word. To me, failure is education, it's experience. Like toddler doesn't learn how to walk without falling down. You don't learn how to play a video game without dying. Like that's just mm -hmm. part of the experience. And so if you look at it that way, now that's part of learning. And what's important is if you make a mistake, learn from it and don't repeat the same mistake. And we're going to value that. But the idea that mistakes will be made as you're learning, we're going to nurture that just like a preschool might do that. So that's a good thing. The second thing I say is don't treat this as a top-down organization where Vinny is the founding partner, has the final say, because that's how an organization dies. We need to be changing. We need to be adapting. This is where technology and the startup space is amazing because it is being changed by the youth, by people without the traditional sort of career experience. So if there's something we're doing that doesn't make sense to you, I want you to question that. Mm -hmm. If there's something we're talking about, and maybe it's about a new social app, entertainment or something, you're going to be qualified there because, you know, it's probably targeting your age group. You've been using it maybe more than I have. So feel free to speak up. And those sort of things encouraging in an organization allow progression and allow an organization to change, adapt and grow and be bigger. That is something I think is really important. Yeah, that's a tall ask for many local companies. <laughs> so you must have had a few bosses. Have you had a terrible boss before? And like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, it wasn't a terrible boss, but I was a nerd in high school. I taught myself computer programming. I was doing web development for a startup in the late 90s while still in high school. So a boss at that company, he was a very good person. But I remember the first year I worked there as a high school student, I was getting paid nothing. So now the second year I went back, even though I don't even have a high school degree yet, I was actually like the lead developer in the team because web programming was brand new back then. And he kept promising me, financially, we can't really adjust your salary right now, but you're going to be compensated at the end of the summer. And so I kind of trusted that boss. And then end of the summer came and kind of what I had assumed versus what he was able to budget from the CFO were very different. That's why I wouldn't look at him as being a terrible boss, but like clearly he didn't have open sort of communication that he should have right. in terms of expectations mm -hmm. early on. And that felt terrible. So what I learned is it's not like don't trust anybody. Like even his hands were tied from the CFO above him. It's just like, don't make assumptions in the business world, have everything up clear and up front, because if you're going to make assumptions, then when things go wrong, you're going to have to point at yourself, not the other party. Right. And last question before we let you go, Vinny. What is one thing about work or career you wish someone would have told your 20-year-old self? So when I was 20, I just wanted to climb that title role ladder so quickly and things that take eight to 10 years, I wanted to do two and I couldn't understand it. I guess if I was to kind of like look back, I would want to just kind of moderate and just understand how long things take. But I think the best piece of advice I could give to like, how do you climb that corporate ladder would be put yourself as a community organizer in the space that you want to grow. And so I used to host something called the Silicon Valley New Tech Meetup in San Francisco. It started off as six, grew to like 6,000 members, putting yourself in the middle of a community. So if it's FinTech, maybe you start a WhatsApp or Telegram group. Maybe you want to be a recruiter and so you write a blog post about talent practices and try to get some followers. But the idea of putting yourself in the middle of a community what I have learned is that if you're the one who connects individuals and they're much older and much more experienced than you, 
they look at you as being just as experienced or just as knowledgeable. And that is a great way to kind of raise your career profile. So definitely be a connector, whether that's an offline event, online, chat group, content, website, just connect people in your profession and you will do very well from that. All right. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Vinny. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Work It. We've got a refreshed slate of audio material you can listen to on your commute or your workout. Go to the CNE website or app and look for the listen button. And if you have thoughts, ideas, or even stories you'd like to share, please write to us. The details are in the episode notes. Till next time, this is Work It.